Hello there, you are very welcome to Over the Wire, the podcast from the Anderson's Town News and BelfastMedia.com. If this is your first time joining us, I'm James McCarthy and we are celebrating 50 years of the Anderson's Town News with a podcast looking back at some of the stories and the people who have made our pages over the past five decades. This week we're heading back to 1988, Following the events of March that year, which we have covered in a previous podcast, the BBC described West Belfast as a terrorist community. To combat that narrative, Gerry Adams, Danny Morrison and Siobhan O'Hanlon set out to establish a community festival that would combat the narrative. Today, that festival has grown to become Ireland's largest community festival, Fila and Fubble. I'm delighted to say that we are joined for this episode by Danny Morrison. Danny, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you keeping? I'm dead on. James, many thanks and congratulations to the Anderson's Town News for 50 years. I remember when it first came out and I remember also I was interned in 1972 and it was so, uh, when we received that Christmas edition of the Anderson's Town News and all our names were printed in it, I have to say it was it was absolutely um, a morale booster for the people to have a community paper. It was one of the first, probably one of the first community papers in Ireland you know, you had the establishment media with the local press, the Ulster Herald, More Observer, etc., mainstream Irish news. But for to have a community paper like the Anderson's Town News, to me, it was a forerunner of fella on football. Mm-hmm. And I hear that you're working on another book at the moment. How's that coming along? Well, I, I mean, I, I published my book, uh, Free Statism and the Good Old IRA, which is a, a rebuttal of the revisionism, and particularly what I see as being insidious partitionism by the Irish establishment, by the mainstream media, and by the political parties, which re- repeatedly refer to Ireland and Northern Ireland as if there are two countries on the island of Ireland. And that's so that, that book was dealing with that. But I'm also publishing books and editing books. I've just finished editing uh, a book on Armagh Prison, History of Armagh Prison by Jerry Adams and Richard McCauley, and it will be released during Fell and Fubble. And I've just, uh, I have a, a small publishing house with my a, a partner of mine in Germany, and it, it's called Green Island Press. And we have two books coming out uh, during Fela. One is Curious Journey, which is a reprint of interviews with veterans of the Tanmore, and that's by Timothy O'Grady, and it's been launched on Thursday, August the 11th. And then uh, next week, uh, next Friday, we will be launching a book called Rewriting the Troubles, which is a comparison of the media, how the media treated the Algerian struggle for independence as opposed to our own struggle. And that's by Patrick Anderson. So I'm quite busy. So I am. And now looking back at the period in the conflict and the demonising of the community within West Belfast, how were the people on the ground responding to the comments such as being described as a terrorist community? Well, you see, if you go back to the early 60s, we were quite a vanquished community. We were, de- we were defeated. Uh, the Orange Order marched on the Falls Road uh, right up until uh, 1964. Uh, even in 1969, when I worked as a junior barman in the White Ford Inn, orange men coming from the field just crossed on the Anderson's Town Road and went into the White Ford Inn and had a paint before they went back to the, the Shanko. So we were quite a demoralised community, but all of that changed with the rise of the civil rights movement and uh, people's democracy and of course the response of the unionist storm of government to that when the programs of 1969 which is the cause of the violence the cause the root cause of the conflict the community then fought back and uh, put up you know incredible heroic 
struggle against state oppression. So th things had been changing. And uh, while Fellow and Fubble was formally established in 1888, there were, had been other little small festivals. There had been a small festival in Lenadoon. Anderson's Town had a small festival. None of these actually lasted. They maybe happened two or three occasions and then sort of burnt out. And of course, Ardoin had its flag going for years uh, through it, through the, the troubles. But the Fellow and Fubble was established. There's other people involved, besides Jay Anderson, Aidan McIntyre. Uh, was quite prominently involved. And what had happened was that three, three people from, from West Belfast uh, had been killed in Gibraltar by the SAS and their bodies had been brought back to West Belfast and at their funeral in Milltown Cemetery we were attacked by uh, a loyalist and the RUC were on the motorway observing this and did nothing except they drove off when the attack occurred. And three people, including a very close friend of mine, Kevin Brady, were killed in that attack. And then uh, one of those, at, at Kevin's funeral, two undercover British soldiers in plain clothes drove into the cortege and people thought it was a repeat of the Milton uh, massacre. And those soldiers were, were dragged out of their cars. Eventually the IRA came on the scene and took them away and they were killed. It was a fairly, fairly brutal and graphic situation where uh, Father Alex Reed, who later took a prominent role in the peace process. There's a famous photograph of him bending down and trying to give the kiss of life to the, the two soldiers. It, it, it was horrific, it was tragic, but in the context, people thought they were being attacked. Now, as a result of, of the, of not, not, not as a result of the attack on, on us in Milltown, but as a result of the attack on the two undercover soldiers, the British government, the DUP, the media, described us as savages. And it wasn't just uh, the BBC, who described us as the terrorist community. It was actually the Secretary of State, Peter Brook, and the DUP called for a wall to be built around West Belfast to seal it off from the rest of civilization. This is quite reminiscent, by the way, of the call um, from Edwin Pooch's father whenever he was a DUP councillor. He called for water and electricity supplies to be cut off to nationalist areas. That was back in the, in the 70s. So we were demonised and it was quite a tough time. And, the, and, and the, the idea was raised that let's have a festival and show the positive, the creative side of West Belfast, you know, which has lo lots of talent. And uh, let's show it to the world, this other side of us, which is, which is the, the side of, of us that they do not want to show. Uh, also our commitment to peace and reconciliation and dialogue and democracy. So the festival was organized and it could have been organized by the way for the 20th of July or the 25th of July, but it was decided to hold it uh, around the, the weekend. It was only about three or four days long, if my, my memory is correct. And it was decided to hold it around the 9th of August. And the, that choice of date was quite deliberate because uh, firstly, the 9th of August was the anniversary of the introduction of internment. And from 1970, and when the term was being introduced, women and children came out and uh, banged bin lids along the ground to warn of British Army raids. And then every year subsequent to that, the bonfire, which used to be on Our Lady's Day, on the 15th of August, and which, which, which was related to a religious holiday, that was changed and that was dropped. And an 8th, an 8th of August bonfire replaced that. And it was a political 
demonstration that we were still here and Termit hadn't defeated us. But the problem with the bonfires was this. They became the occasion for the RUC and the British Army to go crazy, to go wild, to attack the people, to fire plastic and rubber bullets, to drive Saracen armoured cars through the bonfires, etc., and scatter the people. And a lot of people lost their lives around the 9th of August. So we deliberately chose this date and we saw it as an alternative, slowly as an alternative to displacing the bonfires with something positive, giving the young people concerts to go to, etc. Now I, I video filmed the the first march, and you know, looking back, it's rather pathetic. There was only a couple of hundred people and young people in their GAA tops behind, believe it or not, a horse and cart, which made its way to Dunville Park, where there was a bouncy castle and a group playing on the back of a coal lorry with minimum amplification. But what was really interesting was that other areas that I was filming in uh, in, in August 1988, I mean, you had, you had street parties and, and bunting and, and Spring Hill and Ballamurphy. Pensioners been taken away to Newcastle for the weekend, sponsored by one of the local clubs. Uh, I, I also remember a marquee up in uh, beside Anderson Town Social Club and the 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 roof of it almost toppling in because of a heavy downpour and yet people still carried on singing and dancing uh you know and you also in those early days of course you had spring hill hadn't been re hadn't been developed yet into a housing project so there was there was an opener opener concerts there for two or three nights which were unbelievably uh, an unbelievable experience it was you know it was almost like glastonbury in west belfast except it was to rebel music and, and rock music so there was an incredible atmosphere about it and a whole positivity about it. But the demonization continued. And even though it was a part-time uh, committee that ran the festival and it had changed its name to Fell and Fubble, literally Festival of the People, uh, in, the, in those early years, there was no funding. And I think it was like in the 1990s that we first managed to draw down about a thousand pounds to pay for rent in an office in Coulterland, which had, had, had been opened then as a cultural centre. And then in, in later years, uh, I'm talking about the mid-90s, 75%, we were able to get two or three full-time jobs, and but 75% of the funding came from U European money. And the Belfast City Hall and the Arts Council uh, refused the fund fella. And it, even at that stage, I think there was an early attempt to bring it to heel, bring it under control, to make it reflect establishment uh, values. And, and back then, of course, uh, it's only now the political complexion, and the demographics electorally have changed in the City Hall. Uh, but back then, we, there was times when we had to take the City Hall to court for discrimination. And we also had to raise our own funding for the St. Patrick's Day parade. Because whilst back in the 60s, whilst the Orange Order was allowed to march in the Falls Road, we weren't allowed to march into the city centre and the St. Patrick's, even in the St. Patrick's Day parade. And none of that was to change until the, the peace process post-1994. I had been in, in prison until 1995. Whenever I came out, I joined the management team again. Uh, and it was now very much on a semi-professional footing. And, and getting there, and it had like Palm Brighton and, and Double Joint had brought and premiered internationally, or world, world premiere, of plays like Stones in His Pockets, you know, which is still playing to this day. I think it's all in the lyric uh, as we speak. Uh, Stones in His Pockets and The Night in November, 
um, credible play uh, told from a unionist perspective. So things were really, really developing. And along the way, you know, we had a initially a very anarchic pirate radio station uh, by Jimmy Teapot, Jimmy McMullen, and, and, and Hector McNeil, and, and uh, Mark Holland. Uh, it was broadcast out of Conway Mill. And later on, of course, that was professionalized and it got an Ofcom, Ofcom license. And we trained a lot of people in broadcasting skills. But that was also that was totally unsustainable in the long term. And of course, subsequently it has been displaced by uh, online uh, availability, etc., and other other forms of social media. So the festival really, really took off. I would say, like post peace process, post Good Friday, and it then saw itself as having uh, another important role, and that was in building and supporting the peace process. So, for example, on, on the festival radio station, we had uh, Shaka Women's Group was represented. And then later on, I was chair of the discussion and debate group. And we saw it as our role as you know, building bridges with the unionist community. We had the Orange Order come in and give lectures. In one occasion, it was, it was quite difficult because a lot of nationalist people had been killed, assassinated by the UVF. But on another occasion, the we, former UVF prisoners uh, had an entire afternoon in St. Mary's University College in front of a nationalist audience, given their perspective on the conflict, what life was like for them in jail. That was that was quite difficult for, for some members uh, of our audience. But we've also, James, you know, had major, major politicians come into the area, Albert Reynolds, Leo Varadka, President Mary McAleese has given the lecture, Mary Robinson was in the area, international figures, Albie Sachs, uh, former member of the ANC, former Minister of Justice, given the PJ McGorry Memorial Lecture. And also a lot of young people probably don't know this, but groups like Westlife started life in the West. That was where they Westlife had their first gig and groups like Girls uh, Allowed. So it has come on from, you know, it's just, it's the largest community festival in Ireland. It is extremely positive. It has completely displaced the conflict and turmoil associated around uh, August the 9th, and it has grown from strength to strength. And in fact, if the Falls Park was bigger, I have absolutely no doubt that Fela and Fubble, with the skills that the, that the management committee currently has, that they could easily put on a concert in front of 50,000. You know, it could match Slain, it could, it could match the RDS or any other, any other festival in Ireland. And when you look back at how the festival has developed over the years, did you ever think it would be so successful um, whenever you, the, the group first set out then in 1990, or 1988 sorry, to put the festival together? Well, here's the, the thing is, it's not like any other festival because of its roots, how it developed, what it was a response to. It was a community taken on the establishment. It was a community that, that you know, was prepared to be open-armed to all people, you know, with former British soldiers on our platforms. Uh, the DUP, Gregory Campbell was the first person to take back, take part in West Belfast Talks Back. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Donaldson has been in, Arling Foster has been in, Ian Paisley Jr. has been in. And we've also, of course, uh, whatever skills we've had, we've tried to help other groups. And I remember being before East Belfast Arts Festival was set up in the early, I mean, maybe 15, 
years ago, meeting with groups from East Belfast who, who wanted to learn the ropes in terms of how to set up a community festival. So it has grown exponentially. It's firmly on, on the map, but it's not, it's not without its critics. So, for example, every year on the Stephen Nolan show and in the newsletter, you will have attacks on the festival because it reflects the mores and values and political sentiments of the Republican community in West Belfast. You know, four out of five MLAs in West Belfast are, are Sinn Féin. Therefore, it's a, it's a Republican, by and large, it's a Republican area. And yet, whenever the wolf tones come on, on the Falls Park, to play Republican songs, this is attacked. And, you know, this is, uh, this is, they want us to censor the wolf tones from what they play. Now, if that logic was the apply, then we would have to say to Ian Paisley Jr., when you're coming on the West Belfast Talks Back, by the way, you're not allowed to say this, and you're not allowed to say that, because it's offensive to people in this area. But they want to apply, our opponents and critics want to apply that criteria to uh, the music that is played by, the, for example, the likes of the, of the Wolf Tones. But you know, the Falls, the Falls Park uh, is a great venue. There's been you know, safe, safe dance nights there for, for young people. Uh, tickets have been given out in the union hysteria to encourage young people to come, to come in. You know, the, the Boxing Night is, is firmly established there in, in the park. Goldie Oldies Night, which will see me dancing to ABBA and <laughs> other, other older groups, even before ABBA. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a great festival. It lifts the spirits of, of the community in West Belfast. And it, it brings in, it attracts a lot of people. From, I mean, I, I, I have friends come from Cork, come from Kerry, from Galway, Sligo. I have friends who travel from the United States, friends coming from Poland this year and from England, all because they want to, they want to get a feel and a taste of a remarkable, unique community and its experiences. And it has never walked away from its roots. It is not in denial of where it came from, that it came out of conflict, but it sees its role now in supporting and building peace and reconciliation. And it's funny that you should actually mention the Wolf Tones there. I'd argue that probably one of the best versions of the Sash that I've heard is by the Wolf Tones. <laughs> but I'm afraid that is all we have time for, Danny. Thank you very much for coming on. Okay, okay. I'm sure yes. our listeners will have ample, ample opportunity to come along to the events that you'll be participating in during this year's FILA. Until next time, Slánach Gospánach.